0: So why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter six as we continue our, I'm calling it moseying through Matthew because it's taken us a little while. Uh, but uh, man, what are you gonna do? The Sermon on the Mount, you can spend a lifetime studying this. So uh, we're, we're just scratching the surface. But I'd like to draw your attention to a little section of the Sermon on the Mount. We'll look at this in its entirety on Wednesday. Uh, there were two men talking together. The first challenged the other if you're so religious, then uh, let's, let's hear you quote the Lord's Prayer and I'll give you 10 bucks if you can do it. Well, the other guy responded. He said, okay, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my sword the Lord to keep. And if I should die the, the, before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And the guy shook his head and pulled out his wallet and said, man, I didn't think you had it in you." <laughs> do we know what real prayer looks like? Or have we adopted more of an Americanized, churchized, uh, modern day churchized uh, version of prayer? Um, and does some of our prayer actually resemble some of the prayers that Jesus actually had some negative things to say about it? Um, as it turns out, there's a right way to pray and there's a wrong way to pray. And you and I should be aware of that. There's a right way to pray. In fact, I'm kind of uh, one of those guys that am um, shocked at how relativism has crept into almost every discipline of life. You know, if it feels good, do it. If, you, if it's good to you, then it's good to you. But if it's not good to me, then it's not good to me. But you found your truth. Like it's such a weird deal. But when you read the Bible, I love the absolution that the Bible gives you. It tells us you, the right way to do things and the wrong way to do things. And there's no uh, gray area, really. I mean, the Lord is very, very clear. And when it comes to prayer, There's a right way to pray and there's a wrong way to pray. And Jesus is going to give us both. Um, In fact, it's interesting because, um, you know, uh, in this section, basically it's Matthew chapter 5, verses 5 through 15. Uh, This is, pardon me, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Jesus is going to first talk about how not to pray. Uh, by the way, uh, this is a problem, I think. Uh, we've become this modernized, mishy, squishy, gishy church that says, we're only gonna talk about what we're for. We don't like talking about what we're against. And uh, I'm just gonna say, that hasn't worked out very well for us. Uh, in these modern days, people have gone crazy with doing things their own way because the, 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 the pastors maybe were not as clear from the pulpit as we should because the Bible's crystal clear. If you teach the Bible, you're going to get a very crystal clear view of what's right and what's wrong. But we have muddied the waters, um, you know, and if there's, a little, if there's a little mist in the mind of the pastors today, there's a great fog in the congregation. I think that's what we're seeing today. Um, Jesus was very clear and he first tells us what not to do. And then in the second part of this little section, he's going to give us the model for prayer, how not to pray. And then he's going to give us the model. Um, Let me illustrate. I'm gonna do something a little different than I normally do here. But uh, you know, if if you wanna play the guitar, are you playing the guitar or are you playing the guitar? Uh, I remember as a kid, I used to go around and I do my favorite song. I'm gonna play play that song for you right now. This is a song called Jailbreak. Are you guys ready? Here we go. (laughs) But that's not even funny. Well, that's because you don't understand, it's a saw cutting through the bars in jailbreak, get it? Uh, yeah, the second t- tier laughter there. I so, said, oh yeah, I get it now. <clears throat> was I really playing the guitar? Well, no, I was playing it, playing. But I wasn't really playing it. Okay, well, I'll play the guitar. Here we go, ready? Now, what do you think about that? As I, was I playing the guitar? Some of you are like, that sounds horrible. Um, well, I like to think of it as sounding beautiful. That's what relativism I can do, all I did with that was do it, do, do it my way. But see, when you play the guitar, there are actually these rules and I just changed it by one fret. I could play a song like this all day, or I can do the way you're supposed to on the correct mathematical fret. Very different, why? Because I'm going by the rules. There are rules, there are absolutes. And if you don't play by the rules, it's gonna sound horrible. So, you know, uh, sadly, a lot of people just kind of say, I'm going to do this as my own way. And and they don't understand their lives are a mess instead of the structure and the beauty that the Lord wants for us. Uh, And and prayer is one of those things that people kind of make it up as they go and they do it the way they think they should do it. And I'm here this morning, hopefully to remind us what Jesus taught on this. And it's pretty important if you ask me. Uh, it's, It's very important. So let's take a look here. Matthew chapter six is where Jesus jumps into this discussion on prayer. It says in verse five, it says, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. We'll stop right here at the very first verse of this little uh, message Jesus has on prayer, but it's super powerful and important. The first thing we note is Jesus says right at the beginning here, when thou prayest, not if you pray, Jesus is assuming that you pray. Uh, Jesus is assuming that his people, his followers, people that believe in God would be obviously praying. And I'm already kind of worried about that one. Just the very first phrase, when you pray, not not if you pray. And that's a good question to sort of introspectively ask yourself today. Do you pray? Are you a person of prayer? Um, And then you have to ask the question, do I pray correctly? Because there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it. And Jesus spells it out for us. And so that's the first thing. We need to kind of say, Lord, am I a prayer person? And then he says, when you pray, he said, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. This is Jesus talking about what he's against. He's against hypocritical prayer. Now, what does this mean? You know, when we talk about the word hypocrite, it's funny because the world has sort of used that as the number one complaint against the church of Jesus Christ. Well, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. And uh, I always kind of laugh at that because as a person that's gone to church all my life, uh, like that's, not even the worst of it. Like, you don't even have a clue how bad the church is. Like, if you knew how bad we are, it'd be way worse. See, the point is, like, the people that say the church is full of sinners, we'll just boil it down to sinners. Um, That's like, that's as dumb as somebody walking into the oncology center up at uh, Providence Cancer Center up on 84 here and walking in going, I find it interesting here at the cancer center there's people with cancer here. You're like, of course, that's what it's here for. In the same way, the church is here for sinners like you. And good news, you're welcome. You're welcome to be here as a sinner. And so the person with their pious little, oh, the church is full of hypocrites. You know, you know why they can say that? I'll tell you why. Because as Christian people, none of us are claiming to be good or be- better or more righteous or you know, having it all together. Not one Christian I know has ever made that claim. We admit our shortcoming and our failure and our sins. Um, The difference is we believe the Bible and the Bible is a standard for all. And we believe the Bible is the standard. Now, have we measured up to that standard? Of course not. We're not even close. We try. That's our goal. And as we get older in faith, we hope to mature and grow closer to what God wants us to be, of course. But man, a lot of us, were so far from that, it's not even funny. And it's not just us saying that. Paul the apostle, for crying out loud, said, I do the things I don't wanna do and I don't do the things I do wanna do. I, Paul, am the chiefest of sinners. Even he knew that. So so for the world to piously look from the outside and say the church is full of hypocrites, it's like, you don't even know how bad it is. And, and by the way, a person who has no standards at all can accuse others of being hypocrites. See, the world, they can say the church is hypocrites because they don't have standards. There's no standard. And so they're doing whatever they want, saying, see, we're, we can do whatever we want, and we're not hypocrites. Well, yeah, because you have no standards at all. That's kind of an important thing, but... Jesus, when he employs the word hypocrite, he's not really using it in that way um, as much. Um, He's talking about when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites are. The word hypocrite is actually an interesting word in the original language of the Greek, it's hypocrites. Um, And it means a play actor, a stage player, a dissembler or a pretender, someone who's sort of fake. Um, And so Jesus is calling it out in this term of hypocrite. And by the way, this is kind of fun the word hypocrite was a theatrical term. They would use that in in the Greek theater, the word hypocrite was used all the time and I'll tell you why. Do you remember in theater when you get your tickets to the theater or whatever, they always have the little two masks, the sad face and the happy face and they're always juxtaposed one against the other. Well, that comes from ancient times. In fact, these two here are ones they found unearthed in archeological digs of ancient Greece. These were these two masks of the theater. Um, did you know the word they use? They don't use the word mask in the Greek. The word they use to, to delineate this, they called them hypocrites. That's the word they use. They called it hypocrites. And what it means? It's a fake veneer, it's a fake exterior, it's, it's play acting, it's being someone you're not. This is the term Jesus is saying. When you pray, don't be like a play actor with a fakeness about yourself. Um, by the way, why did they use these big fat masks in the theater in old times? Well, they didn't have 4K TV where you could see every pore on the person's nose. Um, they actually, uh, used, you, you couldn't see, if, if you were in a big theater in ancient times, you couldn't see their faces. So they would exaggerate with those, those hypocrites, the mask, the they put super big smile. Oh, that, that, uh, that, that character is happy. And then they'd put the sad face on, oh, that, that character's very sad. So it would exaggerate so you could see from a long distance off. That was kind of the plan. That's the word that Jesus employs here when he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, putting sort of this fake exterior and what have you. And so people, uh, what they tend to do is pretend or have sort of a fake prayer life. Um, I call it playing at praying. <laughs> You're just playing at praying. You you act like you're playing, but you're not really going by the rules. Um, And and what does Jesus say? These people that pray to be seen of men, uh, not for the real purpose of prayer, but to to be acknowledged by men, Jesus says to them, you have your reward. In other words, God won't hear your prayer. Your prayer won't be answered. You'll get people walk up and pat you on the back and say, wow, you're quite the prayer warrior. And Jesus said, "That's, that's all you get on that which is kind of a big waste of time if you ask me. They have their reward. Their prayer fails to fly. Their prayer won't reach the ears of God if you are playing at praying. Um, You know, why do we do this? Why do we put a fake exterior on? Why did the Pharisees do it in those days? It says here, Jesus says, oh, they stand in the synagogues and they pray these eloquent prayers to be seen of men. Uh, They wanted reputation. Wow, that person's dialed in. Or to stand on the corners of the streets and pray and all the people in the world going, oh, those guys are pious. Look at them. And you see, some of us do that. We, We have the fakeness about our prayers to be seen of men. Some of you dads, you have zero prayer life except for at dinner time at the dinner table. Why? Because your wife wants you to pray and bless the food. And it's easier just to do it uh, and pray with the kids there. And, okay, Lord, thanks for this food, amen. Uh, God is good, God is great, thank you for the food, amen. Or whatever we do, just to check the prayer box. But I'm just gonna tell you right now, that might just be playing at praying. You're not really sincerely seeking the Lord or asking something of the Lord. You're just going through rote memory, doing something because you feel pressured and the responsibility is the dad to pray at a mealtime. The, the idea of going through motions of a prayer. Now there's, there's other weird things that happen when we want to pray, especially if you're praying in public, um, is you are, are more worried about what other people think. In fact, I'm going to say, some of you say, well, Brad, I don't have that problem. I don't play, pray publicly at all. I, I'm not into that. Well, that's not great either. And the reason you may not do it is because you're worried about what people think about you. You're worried you might say something sort of dumb spiritually. Oh boy, they'll expose you as the you know, non-religious person that you are. Um, some of you say, well, well, you're a pastor, but you can't fathom how we feel uh, having to pray publicly. Oh, I sure can I was not into that at all when I was younger. And and the problem is, I I loved the Lord. I loved His word so much. You know, I was involved in ministry and stuff uh, at a very early age, and I got licensed and ordained by the time I was 19 years old. I was marrying and burying by 19. And, and and then, you know, here I am a pastor and, and then I'd go to these pastor meetings in our, in our big church at the place where I was pastoring, assistant pastor, and, and all these big heavyweight pastors would be praying. And I would just sit there in the corner and say, I'm not saying a word. I didn't want them to see the exposing of my stupidity or say something really dumb. So I would just kind of pray, you know, and, and even, you know, agree with them in prayer, but I'd never say anything. And I'll, I'll never forget when my pastor pulled me aside after a pastor meeting once and said, Brett, you know, you're welcome to pray. In fact, you kind of need to pray with us if you're gonna be part of us. And I remember thinking, I don't wanna do that. Um, But I realized I had to press through that and be willing to pray with my brothers that we were co-laboring. Even though I was the younger, I still needed to pray and realize that nobody was really judging me anyway. I just needed to get past my fears and be praying and not worried about the people that were listening, but being more concerned about the person I was praying to, that is the Lord himself. Prayer is pretty simple, really. It's just communicating with God. It's talking with the Lord. Um, You don't have to pray with an eloquence or a fancy, you know, fanciful uh, wording or use King James English. Isn't it funny how some people think they need to impress people with their fancy King James? Lord, thou didst sustaineth all thingseth. Does that really impress God using King James English? Uh, I don't believe it does. Using the these and the vows and the verilies does not get God's attention over saying you and uh, you know truly or whatever you're saying. Um, your prayers are not heard by your fanciness or your ability to know the scriptures, um, but to have prayers reach the ear of God—that's priceless. That's important. So, what does the hypocritical prayer look like? It can, man, it can take on so many shapes. One is is just being afraid to pray altogether. The other one is actually drawing attention to yourself. Have you ever seen people that pray or even worship sometimes? I've noticed people that worship sometimes wanna draw attention to themselves. Ooh, look at that person, wow. And Jesus is calling that, you know these guys standing on the street corner to be seen of men. Um, we can draw attention unnecessarily to ourselves, and that's part of the problem. Oh man, I've been a Christian for a long time. So I've seen a lot of funny things that were kind of laughable even. And I think this might be some of the stuff Jesus is talking about. There's always that person in the group that's the, the one that wants to be perceived as the spiritual one. So you know what? Let's all pray together. Oh, 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 oh yeah, okay, we'll pray. And then you break into this eloquent prayer. Are you that person that likes to be the one that leads it so that you can be perceived? It's okay, it's a nuance. It's okay if you suggest prayer in a group. But are you doing it for the wrong reason? To be seen of men—that's Hippocrates. That's what Jesus is talking about. Um, it gets worse, by the way. Uh, some people, you know, um, they communicate with people while they're praying. Have you ever heard the old lecturing prayer where they—the person wants you to hear what their great, vast knowledge of what they know about? And they, it's almost like they forget they're talking to God, and you can almost hear them changing. And and then pretty soon they're lecturing you in the room. Oh, and then. But Lord, you know, talking—I've heard this a lot. Oh Lord, you know that inflation has surged to a new pandemic-era peak in June, and with U.S. consumer prices jumping 9.1 percent and year over year, according to the fresh data released by the Labor Bureau of Labor Statistics. Lord, and like, wow, impressive. You know all about uh, the inflation and uh, the recession that we're not having. Um, And you're like, wow. Uh, good, good for you, you know stuff. But that's a hypocritical prayer. That's a prayer you're, you're wanting to be impressive and, and have people think. I've seen this back in my younger years. I was a college uh, group director of a church and, a, and it was a bunch of college kids. And I remember this one dude, this is a true, true story. I'll bring it more in modern day local terms. It's like we we're all you know, getting ready to go out after our college Bible study. And it'd be like, if we said, hey, uh, let's all go out to famous or not, uh, let's go to Dave's Hot Chicken in Tualatin. And uh, like, yeah, yeah. And then that one guy, oh, let's, let's pray before we all leave. Lord, um, bless this time and help these people just to enjoy their dinner. Um, Lord, you know, I'm in a financial tight situation uh, where I really can't afford to go, but, but Lord bless them as they eat their chicken and, and, um, and thank you for, you know, and then you, amen. And I was like, oh dude, okay, here, here's, you know, here's some money. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. No, you're just a manipulator weirdo. Um, that wasn't a, you know, your prayer wasn't answered. You just guilted everyone into thinking, I'm oh, I better give them a couple bucks. Uh, you got to watch out for the, the, the attitude that you have when you're praying to make sure, first of all, you're communicating to the Lord um, and not manipulating or communicating. By the way, have you, have you noticed how even sin can enter into your prayer? And this is probably part of that hip, hypocritical sort of prayer. Remember the guy we talked about last week that said, oh Lord, I'm glad I'm not like that guy over there the sinner, uh, but I do all these wonderful things for you, Lord, and, and I'm glad I'm not like him. Well, that's a sinful prayer, hypocritical prayer. What about gossip? Uh, maybe you're in a Christian group praying, oh Lord, we pray for brother Bob who's struggling with pornography and it was on the internet last week and it's like, ah, everybody's going, what? We don't wanna know all this stuff. You're, you're gossiping about a brother. Um, you know, you can pray for people in general. You don't even have to use their name. And guess what? God knows the person's name. Some people, they, they kind of feel the need to sort of, uh, it's, it's Christianese way of gossiping without technically sounding like a gossip. The hypocritical prayer, play acting like you're something you're not. You know, one of the, one of the things I'm concerned about is people thinking they're bigger than God like they can pray and sort of be the big shot. And I think it's impressive. I remember when the televangelists of the 80s, remember these guys that would get on TV and they'd start bossing God around as, God, you said in your word, you're gonna do this. So do it, Lord. And there's, like, there's this kind of like, uh, listen, pipsqueak, God could squish you like a bug. Do you realize that? The prayer of the Bible, when you read the Bible prayers, they're always very humble, broken, repentant. Even Daniel, uh, which was a giant in the faith, if you ask me, When you read Daniel chapter nine, there's this beautiful prayer of confession and humility and brokenness before God. But there in the 80s, there was that televangelist thing. Now today, I wanna warn you as a church of something that's kind of current right now, there's sort of a movement within certain circles and churches to sort of put God down and to sort of put yourself in a greater position than God. Um, One of the things that you hear me talk about uh, because I'm concerned about it and and people say, you shouldn't talk about Bethel like that, Brett. They love Jesus. Well, here's the problem. Bethel's doctrine needs to be called out. What, the part where glitter falls from the ceiling? Well, that's a little wacky, but that's not what I'm talking about. The part where they lay on graves and soak up the the Holy Spirit anointing from the people that are in the tomb, Uh, that's pretty weird too, but I'm not talking about that. The part where they do the fire tunnel in church and all that, that's weird too, but I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is where they really start messing with essential doctrines of the Christian faith is when they make you greater than Jesus. You're going to do greater things than Jesus. You are greater than Jesus. And it's almost like, you remember the snippet I showed you of the Bethel pastor down in Reading that was praying and he prayed, or he was talking to this church saying, "Um, I learned that I had to forgive Jesus. Who does that? Who forgives Jesus. Jesus never sinned, never did anything wrong. You don't have to forgive Jesus for anything. He needs to forgive you, especially after you said such a stupid thing. Um, And and it's not just Bethel. There's a lot of these these churches, and I I have to say, I think some of these young pastors kind of feel the need to come up with new edgy stuff. Uh, There's a church locally here uh, that I'm so concerned about because people that go there, they're hearing stuff like this. Uh, I, I was given a sermon by somebody recently and, And um, the sermon was not bad until the very end when he said, you know, uh, he quoted some guy that we need to forgive God, he said. And why do we need to forgive God? He said, because things don't always go the way we want them to go. So we just need to put it in our heart to forgive God for things not working out the way we thought they should go. And he said, I know that sounds like heresy and it is. That's what he said. I'm like, oh good, he knows that. But he said, (laughs) but then he doubled down and said, but we really do need to just forgive God. It's like, what? No, let me, let me tell you how that actually preaches uh, rightfully. You need to repent from your sin and your stubborn will, thinking you know what's best for yourself and it, uh, you don't. You need to rejoice that God knows what he's doing and he's got better plans for you. It'd be like if my kids were in their twos and three years old and I taught them not to run out in the highway so they don't get killed and run over by cars. And then let's say one of my kids come up to me in their adult life and say, you know, dad, just want to tell you, I forgive you. Why do you forgive me? Because you didn't let us play in the highway. And um, we, you know, that was so restrictive and we just, really, it wasn't what we, we wanted to play in the highway. So I, we're choosing to forgive you. I would say, no, you need to thank me for teaching you something of great value. You're still alive to talk about it. Um, you see, it's such a bratty little entitled attitude to say, we need to forgive God. No, we do not. Um, That same church, sadly, uh, when the Uvalde shootings took place there in Texas, heartbreaking, horrible situation. Um, One of the things that happened there, um, you know, uh, was this church posted on their social media, enough, God. That's what they said. Again, it's making them act like they're big shots telling God, enough, we've had enough of this. Time to change stuff, God. No, that's just an arrogant you're, you're, you're trying to appear bigger than you really are. You're just a pipsqueak bossing God around. Are you kidding me? The Lord is near to those that are of a broken and a contrite spirit. Uh, we gotta be careful on this one. You know, uh, it reminds me a little bit of 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 20 through 40. Remember the Super Bowl of, of the religions of the time? It was Elijah, who was representing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jehovah, the true and living God, versus the 450 prophets of Baal? They were worshiping this pagan deity that was fake and false. And you remember the story. Elijah lets them go first. Okay, you call fire down from heaven. If your God, Baal, does that, then we'll know he's God. So all day long, these prophets of Baal are shrieking and screaming out to Baal and trying to get his attention to bring fire from heaven. And, and Elijah, the prophet's just sitting by, kind of going, he's making fun of them. If you read the story, it's really funny. Elijah's like, I can just almost see him there kind of messing around, sitting on a rock. Uh, hey you guys, where's your God? Is he on vacation? Is he using the restroom facility? He actually says that. If you look at the Hebrew text, it says, is he off relieving himself somewhere? That's literally what it says. And, and the prophets of Baal freak out all the more and they start gashing their arms with sharp rocks and making themselves bleed, hopefully to appease Baal. Oh, Baal, fire from heaven. Ah, doing all this crazy stuff. Guess what? As Christians, we don't have to do that crazy stuff. We don't have to demand. We don't have to scratch our blood and all that stuff. You know what? After the whole day of that, Elijah finally said, okay, you guys are done, my turn. And you remember the story, he makes the altar and digs in ditches and fills them with water, barrel after barrel of water, just to make sure everybody knows it's not some trickery. And then Elijah prays a little prayer of humility that's very short. In less than 15 seconds, you can pray. In fact, here it is. It's its 1st Kings 18, verse 36 and 37. Here's Elijah's prayer. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel. Let it be known that this day thou art God in Israel and I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. And if you keep reading the next verse, and fire came down from heaven and not only burned up the altar, but the ditches, the water was licked up by the fire flames. And basically there was just a big crater left on the ground. Any questions? It's like the prayer of power wasn't Elijah shrieking or screaming or you know emoting or demanding. It was just Elijah, very simple prayer that was important. Um, and by the way, um, one of the things I mentioned earlier, if you're trying to be fanciful in your prayer, sometimes I've noticed people will quote scripture in prayer, and that's good. I love when you quote because you know when you're praying scripture, you're praying the right stuff. You know what I mean? That's kind of an important thing. But if you're praying and quoting scripture to impress your friends, uh, don't do that. Um, That's actually what Elijah is doing here when he says, I've done all these things at thy word. When he says, hear me that the people may know that thou art the Lord God, that's what God told him. That was God's word to Elijah and he was speaking that out. So as long as you're speaking out the word of the Lord for his purpose, that's great. But if you're doing it to impress, that's hypocrites, play acting, playing at praying. So, um, so after Jesus calls out that hypocrisy, he then kind of calls them into the first part of the solution of what you do. How do you avoid the hypocritical prayer when you're praying to be seen of men? Interesting solution in verse six. Take, take a look here in verse six. It says there, "'But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, "'and when thou hast shut thy door, "'pray to thy Father, which is in secret.'" and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly." Have we forgotten the value of private, personal prayer just between you and the Lord? You know, um, I'm all for a prayer meeting and groups of people praying, but in the Bible you almost see more examples of that private, personal use of prayer. And Jesus is saying, yeah, instead of doing it in front of a bunch of people, it's better to just go find your prayer closet and when you pray, do it in secret and the Lord will reward you openly if you're praying just between you and him. And this starts to make me wonder, cause I already asked you the question, how are you doing at praying? Maybe I asked another question. When was the last time you went into a solitary place like your closet and said, I'm just gonna seek the Lord for a little time here. Just me and the Lord in the closet. Nobody's gonna see, nobody's gonna know that I'm doing it. Um, was it last week when you did that? Or was it in July last month? Sometime in July when you went in your prayer closet? Um, what, about, what about this last year? Because see, truthfully, Jesus doesn't just suggest this here. In our text, do you see what it says? Jesus says, when you pray, again, not if you pray, when you pray, verse six, enter into thy closet. And when you've shut the door, pray to your father, which is in secret. By the way, I would say to some of you, um, you, you know, maybe you don't have a closet. You, you actually, some of you guys have closets that were bigger than the house of the closet of the people in the Bible. Uh, some of you have closets with washer and dryer and sinks and a restroom and all kinds of cool stuff in your closet. That's great, but find a quiet place. I've found my pickup truck is a great place to pray. You can kind of shut everything down and just pray. I've, I've, I like that. It's a good place for me to pray. But at the same time, do you take time to pray privately? Americans, I think we've forgotten true prayer where it's just you and the Lord. And, and, and man, we make this mistake of, of only praying at mealtime, or only praying at church when, when people kind of expect us to pray. But to pray for no reason other than just for prayer, not to be seen of men, that's what Jesus Jesus says. Um, now, praying in your prayer closet can be kind of tricky. Um, especially if you're not used to this. You know, I'm so worried about our culture. We're so distracted. We got our cell phones, our mobile phones and all our stuff uh, that we're busy doing. The idea of getting into a quiet closet and praying for any length of time. If you haven't done that for a while, let me warn you, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna go into your closet. Okay, I'm gonna pray and seek the Lord like Pastor Brett told me to do. So you go in there and you close the door and you sit down, okay, dear Lord, Oh, I wonder, am I supposed to have the light on or off? Okay. Oh, okay, get up, flip, flip on the light. Okay, good. Okay, dear Lord, you know, I haven't worn that shirt for a long time. I, I haven't seen that, I should get that up. Maybe next Sunday I'll wear that shirt. Hmm. Oh, oh yeah, uh, dear Lord, I, I, I just pray. Oh, my brown shoes are where the blue shoes are and the blue shoes are where the brown shoes are supposed to be. Who switched out my shoes? Hmm. Oh, wait, Lord, I pray Self-cleaning oven. Is ours a self-clean? I don't remember if ours is a self-clean. I remember reading about the self-cleaning oven, but I'm not sure if it is a self-cleaning oven. Mm. You say, bro, what are you talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Your brain will go every which way. And it's because I think we all kind of have ADHD. We all, we all just have lost the ability to tune in and focus our minds. But this is what Jesus is saying. Get away and then tune in. And, and this is a discipline. This takes, this takes willpower to say, I'm gonna talk to the Lord and not to be seen of men. This isn't a suggestion, this is what Jesus is saying. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, but go into your closet and find solitude and focus on the Lord. So the first notion we see here is God will not even answer a hypocritical kind of prayer. The next sort of thing we're gonna see, and the solution is to pray in quiet by yourself, but with you and the Lord. Um, The second notion he's gonna say is God will not answer vain, repetitious prayers. And we see that here in the next verse. In verse seven, it says, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them for your father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. Now, there's so much in here. Some of you logical thinkers are thinking, Brett, why would I even pray then? If God knows what I, what I need, why should I even ask? Just say, Lord, you know what I need? The end. Well, I think if your heart's right, you can pray that prayer. But see, here's the problem. I think some of us have forgotten what prayer is all about. Prayer is about communing, talking with the Lord. It's not about demanding things from the Lord. He already knows what you need before you ask it. It's more about communing with the Lord. So we've kind of lost the purpose of prayer. Um, here's, here's kind of the example of that. We talked about this on Wednesday night. When you pray, you don't go and give God orders. When you pray, you're reporting for duty. When you go to pray, you're saying, Lord, what do you have for me? What do you want from me? How can I better serve you, Lord? And, and start communing and talking with Lord. We, we find our prayer tends to be so self-centered and based on what we think we need But the Lord says, man, don't be the the person that just yaks on and on and repetitiously praying the same thing over and over again. Isn't it funny that some churches, if you're coming from one of those more liturgical kind of churches where you say the same prayer every Sunday, maybe more than once, and you just keep reciting things as sort of rote memory and you don't really think about what you're praying but you're actually just mouthing the words because you've got it all memorized. I think that's vain repetition. The word vain means empty. There's nothing to what you're actually saying from your heart is the idea there. Now I've got a question for you is, is it, we know it's wrong to have vain repetition in prayer. Is it wrong to speak repetitious prayers? Anyone? No, it's not. It's not wrong to speak repetitious prayers. And I'll tell you why. In another passage, Jesus talks about how being persistent praying over and over again is actually something that he's into and he blesses. It's Luke chapter 18. You can jot this down in your notes. I'll just read it quickly because it's just a short little parable. In Luke 18, one, Jesus spake a parable to them to this end that men ought to always pray. How much does Jesus want us to pray? Always and not to faint. In other words, don't give up on it. So he said, there was once a city where there was a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. Sounds like Portland and there was a widow in that city. And she came to him saying, avenge me of mine adversary, but he would not for a season. But afterward he said within himself, though I fear not God nor regard man. In other words, I don't care about people and I don't fear God yet because this widow troubles me and I will avenge her lest she continually comes to me and wearies me. In other words, this lady's bugging this guy to death. And he says, I don't care about her, but because she's bugging me so much, I'm gonna go ahead and rule in her favor. And then Jesus said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect, the people he loves and cares about, um, which cry day and night to him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. See, Jesus is making a point. An unjust, wicked judge says, okay, yeah, whatever, I'll help you because I want you to go away. But the person that's persistent in coming to the Lord over and over again, the Lord says, I will hear that prayer and I will honor it because I love you and I care about you. Um, so do we uh, pray prayers of repetition because it's coming from our heart or do we pr- pray repetitious prayers because we're just doing it by rote memory? In fact, I worry that some of us as parents, we teach our kids vain repetition. Okay, God's good, God's great, we thank for the food, amen. And they just learn how fast they can say it so they can start diving into their food. And it's not a prayer from their heart. Or now I lay me down to sleep or whatever these little rote prayers are. And, and I think we have to be careful with that kind of stuff. Did you know that I believe even if you say the Lord's prayer, which is a holy and powerful and important prayer, which we're gonna look at in a second, man, we still could say that in vanity. If you're just saying, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, like If you're just saying it, then you're saying it in vain. And the Lord says, I will not hear that prayer, nor will I honor that prayer. So watch out for vain repetition. And by the way, God sees your heart. It's open before him. In fact, Jesus in Matthew sixteen—pardon uh, me, 15, verses seven through nine, he says, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah the prophet say of you, this people draws nigh or near unto me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. They don't care about the Lord. They're just doing everything they're doing to be seen of men. And Jesus is talking about people. He's quoting from Isaiah saying, "Saying, you you can say the right things, but your heart is far from the Lord. That's hypocrisy. Um, And we can do that not just in prayer, but also in worship. Just mouth the words. I worry about that here at 8th of Greek. When we're singing songs of praise, I hope that we're singing along and and thinking through the words, worshiping intelligently, engaging our minds as we're thinking about the words we're singing. Um, You know, that's kind of an important thing. So after all this, Jesus tells us what not to do. Watch out for vain repetition. Watch watch out for hypocrisy in prayer where you're just play acting, playing at praying. And then Jesus says, I'm now gonna give you the model for prayer. Here's here's sort of the perfect prayer. And Jesus gives us this, and we start that in verse nine. And there Jesus says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Do you sense the gravity of this prayer? Jesus just tells us here's the model prayer. Now, now the first word that I wanna point out here in verse nine, after this manner, the word manner is kind of a cool word and it's important. The original language of the Greek is hutos, which means to practice or style something after, to execute in a like, in like fashion. It, it, Jesus is not necessarily saying, do this prayer verbatim exactly this way. He's saying, your prayer should sound like this prayer. The reason I say that is some of us do like to say the Lord's prayer word for word. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Yeah, that's great. As long as it's coming from your heart and you're not just doing the rote memory things, thinking you're praying some magical incantation, that's not what's happening. You need to say a prayer. And and when you say our father, you gotta really think about, man, I'm so glad. See, let's break this prayer down because this is the kind of prayer we're supposed to pray. And Jesus covers the topics that we should be praying about. Uh, What should you and I be praying about? Well, let's break it down. The first part in verse nine is he says, our father, which art in heaven. Um, man, this is one of my favorite parts of this prayer because we don't pray our King of Kings and Lord of Lords, which art in heaven. We could pray that, but I'm so thankful that he's our father because you know what? He's this loving, compassionate father who loves his kids. When we approach him in prayer, we need to remember he loves us. And so for some of you that say, Brett, I'm afraid to pray because I'm an ignoramus when it comes to the Bible. And I'm sure I'll pray something stupid. Good news. He's your father. He knows your heart and he loves you. It's like my daughter, Casey, who's super smart, but I'll never forget when she was two and a half years old, I was driving in my, I think it was at that time I had a Toyota Tundra, it was like a 2001 Toyota Tundra. And I was driving down the road and that particular year, they reversed the up and the down. If you push the window up, the window would go down. If you push the little lever down, the window would go up. It was a little bit backwards and weird. So I remember driving down the road and there's Casey in the little car seat and she'd reach over, Daddy, can I open? She'd say, you know, her window's up. She'd say, Daddy, can I roll my window up? And I'm like, looking at her window, it's, it's up. but I'm like, sure, go ahead, honey. And then Casey would go, and then she'd look over, Daddy, can I roll my window down? I'm like, sure. And she'd say it again over and over. And now what do I do as a father? Did I go, you little nincompoop, don't you know you're up from down? Come on. Oh man, I think my child is wacko. Oh no, is that what I did? No, you'd say that's a horrible father and it is. But what did I do? Well, I knew Casey was a smart little two and a half year old and actually she was smart enough to know that, well, the lever you actually go up when you want it to go down and you go down when you want it to go up and maybe she's smarter than the manufacturer at Toyota. I don't know. (laughs) And I also thought it's so cute. She's saying up when she means down. I thought, that's just so cute. But I knew what she meant, because guess what? I've lived some life and I know things about what she meant. And so I didn't correct her or get mad at her. I just looked at her endearingly and said, sure, honey, you can roll the window up. And I just thought it was cute. In the same way, you can pray prayers that are a little misguided. But if your heart is right and you're communicating with the Lord, the Lord understands. He knows what you're thinking. He's not mad at you. Um, the Bible tells us what the Lord thinks of you. Do you know that? The Bible says his thoughts toward us are what kind of thoughts? Anybody? Precious. That's the word. His thoughts toward you are precious thoughts. Okay. And the Bible also tells you in a different scripture, how many of those precious thoughts, how many are they? Anybody? The Bible says his thoughts toward you are as many as there are grains of sand on the seashore. Next time you're in Cannon Beach, reach down and pick up a handful of sand and start counting. Good luck, because you can't. It's impossible to count a handful of sand. But he's not talking your handful. He says his thoughts are precious thoughts toward you, and there's more thoughts than there are grains of sand on the sea. He has these precious thoughts toward you. How could he do that? Because he knows all things. He's not looking at you, oh, you little nincompoop. That's not God. That's maybe some of the bad fathers in this world. But our father, which is in heaven, he's perfect. Man, I love that. So we start out the prayer recognizing that he's a loving father, which is in heaven. But we also need to remember the next phrase where Jesus says in verse nine, Hallowed be thy name. The word Hallowed is just a fancy word for holy. Um, in fact, the word Hallowed in the Greek text, the word is hagiadzo, which means to make holy or to, to recognize as holy to sanctify. The word sanctify means to set apart from everything else, that like God is different than everyone else. Uh, to hagiadzo means to honor as holy, to feel reverence toward and to regard as holy. So Jesus, in teaching you and me how to pray, Jesus is saying, um, hallowed, holy is your name. In other words, yes, he's our father, but be careful when you pray not to be cavalier or yeah, the great man upstairs, our buddy, old pal, God, and the, you know, the, big, the big guy or whatever. That's not the attitude of prayer. Jesus taught us to pray, holy is your name. Reverence, regard as holy. Don't be messing around. Um, you know, we have to remember that God is perfectly whole. That's what the word holy means. It means whole, lacking for nothing. So um, he's, he's loving, but he's not our buddy, old pal. He's holy and he should be reverence. And respected. And again, this is where those televangelists barking at God, telling him what he should do and stuff like that, that's offensive because he is holy. And, um, and I think that little attitude that we have when we start barking orders out at God, that's gonna be revealed someday. It reminds me of Luke chapter 12, verse one and two, where it says, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Um, that's the word we're talking about, hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. In other words, when you pray with your arrogant prayer, that's gonna one day, you'll stand before God and answer for that. It'll be revealed. It'd be better to approach the Lord, holy, reverence, uh, holy is your name. And then in verse 10, he continues and says, thy kingdom come. What is he praying for there? Uh, if you know your Bible, the kingdom is coming. That is when Christ returns, the second coming of Christ. He's gonna then rule on this earth, rule and reign. And it's gonna be a whole new era of human history. Right now we're in the church age of, of human history. Before Jesus came, we were in the, the, the age of the Jewish uh, law. Uh, and, And now we're in the church age. We have been for a couple thousand years, but when Christ returns, we're gonna enter into the kingdom age where Jesus rules and reigns on this earth. And he teaches us, pray for that. Thy kingdom come. You know, if you pray that little three word phrase, thy kingdom come, you're praying all the problems in the world will be solved. That's a good prayer, wouldn't you say? There's nothing that I'm dealing with today that this little three word phrase won't solve. Thy kingdom come. Um, that's that's something. It's eternal perspective. Um, Jesus isn't just praying about his little problems right now or his little focus of his own little miniature life right there. He's saying Thy Kingdom. It's all about the Kingdom, and and Jesus uh, teaches us to pray like that. And then second part of verse ten: Thy Kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Um, I love that he's making a request here, not a demand. And if anybody could have demanded something, it would have been Jesus. But in Jesus teaching you and me how to pray, he's, he's just humbly requesting, praying, Lord, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. One of the things I tend to pray is my will be done, Lord. Here's what I want. Here's what I need. I, I, I. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, thy, thy will. Um, that's, that's what I mean when I say, don't be barking out orders to God. When you pray, you're reporting for duty. Lord, what do you have for me? thy will be done. This is the right prayer, the proper way to pray. Thy will be done. Um, it's according to his will. Remember when Jesus prayed there in the garden of Gethsemane in Matthew twenty six thirty nine, He went away again the second time and prayed, oh my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Another gospel says, not my will, but thy will be done. So he goes on. Again, I could, we could spend a lifetime studying the Lord's prayer. I'm just kind of giving you sort of, this is how we think through this Lord's Prayer. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Speaking of provision, um, bread is what everyone needs to sustain life. He's not uh, asking, give us this day our daily caviar or our daily cake. He just, he says, give us our daily bread, that which we need uh, to survive. And again, for those of you who say, well, we don't need to ask because God already knows what we have need of before we even ask." Jesus said that. But you also have to remember James 4, two. You ask for provision because the Bible says you have not because you ask not. They're in James 4.2. So this is where you ask for your needs. Lord, um, give us this day our daily bread. And then verse 12, essential part of prayer. And I'll show you why. He says in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Boy, this is a heavy thing because I've found myself praying through the Lord's Prayer and I've had to say, wait a minute, Lord, I don't really wanna say this. I don't wanna say, forgive me of my sins the way I've forgiven all those that have sinned against me. Because if you're saying that, that means you've forgiven everyone, um, which is what you're supposed to do. That's why I've said it over and over again here at Athe. If you're one who says, I'm never gonna forgive that person, you're in a heap of trouble if you are unforgiving toward people who've wronged you. In fact, let's jump ahead in verse 14. See what After Jesus teaches the Lord prayer, look at verse 14. He says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you of your trespasses. One of the requirements to have your sins forgiven is you need to be forgiving toward people who've wronged you, even if they're not sorry. Before they've even come and said, I'm sorry, you need to forgive, lest the Lord said, man, you're not gonna be forgiving. So I'm not gonna forgive you. So Jesus weaves this into the prayer saying, oh Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, which is the implication, you need to be forgiving. But then he goes on, verse 13. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Is this something we should pray today? Is there evil in the world today? Are there temptations that you're facing? You guys don't sound like there's many. Maybe I'm in the wrong world because um, I sure see a lot of temptations, man. You and I are tempted on every level all day long and evil is all around us. I hope you see that. What an important part of our daily prayer. This should be a prayer you pray every morning. Oh Lord, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from it. We're gonna get into a deeper dive in this because um, there's a big question. Does God tempt us to sin? The answer is no. Does God allow us to be tested with temptation? Yes. Even as Jesus was led in the wilderness, Matthew four, to be tempted of the devil, that happened according to God's plan. Even Job, remember the devil came to God and said, hey, have you seen Job? And if you let me mess with him, tempt him to sin, then then he'll sin right to your face. And the Lord says, I'm giving you the, the ability to do that. God didn't tempt Job, but as it turns out, Job was tempted of the devil. So there's, the Lord will not tempt you, but he will allow you to go through times of testing. Um, And we'll talk more about that as we get deeper into this. But nonetheless, we should make this our prayer. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We need that because there's evil all around us. And then he ends with sort of this glorious declaration of who God is and what he has. See, because a lot of prayers, I, I get a sense of people like, I'm somebody God, so you better listen to me. I'm a pastor on TV, so do what I say, God. Or if you're from one of these churches are saying, enough, God, or I need to forgive you, God, sort of diminishing God, you're in bad standing. But the way you end a real prayer is like this. There, when it says in verse 13, he says, for thine, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. The word amen means so be it. But to acknowledge Jesus, end your prayer with this, acknowledging that God is powerful and that his kingdom is everlasting. It just kind of puts the puniness of you back into what's really happening here and the giant beauty of our savior and Lord when we pray. I think there's a good way to end. It sounds grandiose, but it's true. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Not me, it's all you, Lord. That's the way our prayers should look. Jesus broke this down for us. So you can pray it word for word if you wish, but I would even say that those are the things that should be in your prayers. Humility, praying for provision, remembering that he's our father and his name is holy. And to remember it's that you're a puny little person, but he for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. These are the attitudes of the prayers that we should be offering to the Lord. Not I demand or Lord, me, me, me. Did you notice in Jesus's prayer, never once did he say I, me or my, not one time. This prayer is very different than a lot of the prayers I've prayed over the years. And I've learned more and more and I'm trying to get better. at just say, Lord, make my prayer life be more like what you prescribe right here in the Lord's Prayer. So this is your assignment. I have an assignment for you. Um, number one, I'd like you to just really think through and pray through, some people call it meditate on, this Lord's Prayer this week. Don't just, just pack it up today and leave it, but to, to, to look at verse nine through 13 and, and memorize it. But more than that, really get the nuance and think through it. And then maybe pray through the Lord's prayer. It could look like this. Our father, which art in heaven. Lord, thank you for being my father. And even though my father was not really the greatest example, I'm so thankful, Lord, that I have, You know, you, whatever your prayer is, I, I, I have a great father, so I can't really pray that. But I know a lot of you've had some pretty bad fathers. This is a great chance for you to pray and say, oh Lord, thank you that that I have you as my father. Hallowed be your name. Oh Lord, you are holy, separate. Pastor Brett talked about that this week, that that you are to be reverenced. And Lord, help me to have a heart of reverence. And um, and just pray through, meditate on. Psalm chapter one says, if you meditate on the word, you'll be like a tree firmly planted by the river of water. That's what you and I need. So that's the, the assignment for you to to think through and meditate on the Lord's prayer. And then, and then second component is to carve out a time in solitude to do it. Whether it's your closet, your pickup truck, your backyard, wherever you can get away and, and try your best to not be distracted and really dis- discipline your mind to be people of prayer. If there was ever a time to be alive and also have a vibrant and important prayer life, I think today is the day. You and I are living in days where we, the church should be massively into prayer. We need to pray and we need to pray correctly. Don't do like playing the guitar, however you think is good. Do it like Jesus just told us. He gave us very clear outline of what prayer looks like. And I think it's time to do it. So may the Lord give us ears to hear what the spirit says to the church in Jesus name. Let's pray. Lord, there's so many things about our prayers uh, that we see that are amiss, And we're thankful Lord that you are able to see through our blunders and our mistakes. But Lord, having read this passage, you've given us plenty to think about and, and things to apply practically. And I pray that you'd give your church strength, Lord, that all of us would be given to prayer. Forgive us, Lord, for not believing the power of prayer. I sometimes think, Lord, that the fact that we're not praying lends itself to, to maybe that we don't believe that it does anything or has any value. Forgive us, Lord. But rather than telling you what we, we, what we need or what we want, we want to sync up with what your will is, Lord. And we want your mind and your heart. So use our prayer life to sync us up with you, Lord. And I pray that we'd approach you with great reverence and, and with um, humility, Lord. I pray that you, we'd start to see your way and your will um, just worked out, Lord, in our lives practically. So bless the church, Lord, when our spirit is willing. may our Um, when our spirit is welling and our flesh is weak, I pray that you would just be our strength, Lord, today. Help us with that. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.